This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. Hi, welcome to the Suffolk Law School IP Issues Podcast, periodic programs on intellectual property issues hosted by Lando and Anastasi. I'm Tom McNulty, an IP litigator with the Cambridge, Massachusetts law firm Lando and Anastasi, where our practice includes all areas of intellectual property law. You can learn more about our firm at our website, www.lalaw.com. Today we're going to discuss protection of symbols, geometric shapes, icons, fonts, and the like. And with me today to discuss this is Julia Mathis, an attorney at Lando and Anastasi who covers pretty much all areas of intellectual property law in her practice. Hi, Julia. Hi, Tom. Thank you for having me. Like I say, the issue is kind of smaller. You know, when you think of copyright law, you tend to think of novels and paintings and things like that. I guess if you could start just giving us a big picture on how this might apply to some of these smaller items. Yeah, what we're going to talk about is, you know, the smaller items, which could be important items for companies and corporations looking to seek joint protection as well as trademark and copyright of, you know, their logos and information that goes out to customers and various things that often have geometric shapes and letters and symbols. And what we're going to talk about is that there seems to be a bit of a gap in protection between copyright and trademark and also design patents of these smaller items, geometric shapes and letters and symbols. And what we're going to discuss is, you know, a little bit of the background as well as some case law and some suggestions on what to do to get protection in these areas and why it's important. And just as an example of the sort of thing that, you know, we might be considering here, you know, Facebook has got a public offering coming out that's expected to be worth a substantial amount of money. And one of their pieces of intellectual property that everyone has probably seen, it's the little blue square with the lowercase f of a particular font. I have no idea what the font name is. That is a very valuable piece of property to them. And one of their concerns and one of everyone's concerns out there, particularly in the high tech world, it should be protection of icons that will encompass these sorts of things. That's exactly right. And you'd want as much protection as possible on these sort of things. And oftentimes copyright law lends you a little bit better protection or more expanded protection in certain areas and you know various statutory damages and other infringers. And this could kind of expand the protection for these companies. Well, for background, why don't we talk a little bit about copyright law generally? That's a good place to start. Copyright generally seeks to promote the progress of science and the useful arts and the argument is that it provides an economic incentive for artistic creation, and it grants artists an exclusive rights to use their work and stop others from using their work. This is enshrined in the Constitution, isn't that correct? Correct, yes. What does copyright protect? Copyright protects any form of original works of authorship. So, you know, some examples would be art, poetry, novels, you know, movies, songs, those sort of things. But Commonly not known is it also protects, you know, computer software as well as architecture. So if you're the creator of one of these works of authorship, what do you need to do to get copyright protection? That's an excellent question. So copyright is different than other forms of intellectual property in that protection starts at the moment the work is created and it's fixed in a tangible medium, so written down or drawn or recorded. And formal registration is not required for you to start protection, unlike patents and trademarks that need to be registered before you could go after an infringer. Now, you say that registration is not required, but there is such a thing as copyright registration. Correct. It's provided, and it has various benefits for registration. So, for example, it's actually required to file a suit against the copyright infringer. 
and there are other benefits to uh, obtaining copyright registration. It's actually fairly straightforward to do it. It provides proof of the validity of the copyright. There's some statutory damages and attorney's fees that are associated with a valid registration. And an important aspect for companies is that it could protect against importation of infringing copies. So for software, this could be a really big thing. The thing that really grabs me out of that from my litigation standpoint is the ability to get attorney's fees. If you've discovered somebody infringing your copyright early on, there may not be a whole lot of damages that have built up. And the amount of costs to pursue this may be a sort of a hurdle to overcome in terms of protecting your copyrighted work. But if you can foist that cost off and the attorney's fees off on the accused infringer, you know, that certainly is a very appealing thing. Exactly. The statutory damages are kind of the same thing. They could be kind of hefty, in fact. They're decided based on discretion of the court, and they could go anywhere from a very small amount per copy to a very large amount per copy. And so it could potentially be quite a hefty damage award. Getting back to the standards for copyright to exist, you had said that it protects original works of authorship. What is the original works standard? So the standard is the creativity is kind of the necessary condition for copyright protection. It's the minimal amount of creative authorship that's necessary to support a copyright. And this is a very minimum, minimum means minimum, it's a small level. The famous case in this is a Supreme Court case, Vice Communications via Rule Telephone Service Company, and in that case, the Supreme Court decided that the level of creativity is extremely low, so even a very slight amount will suffice. Is there overlap between copyright law and trademark and patent law, other areas of IP? Yeah, in trademark and patents and copyright, there is a little bit of an overlap. In fact, with the idea of trademarks is to protect the source of goods. So typically, there is some overlap in the logos and illustrations and characters. I think like Snoopy from MetLife, it could be both a copyrighted character, you know, a drawn character, and also be a trademark as in the source of goods for being MetLife. But then, you know, similarly with patents, there could be some overlap. Copyright could also protect the way that an article looks. So there's a little bit of overlap. Similarly, there's a bit of a distinction between both of those areas. So trademarks typically could protect, you know, names and short phrases and slogans versus copyright protection is not allowed for those things, for titles and short phrases. And similarly with patents, Patents typically protect ideas and methods and systems where copyright does not protect those things. So, for example, if you had an idea for a story, the story itself would be protected under copyright, but the general idea, somebody could take that idea and sort of write it in their own words, and you wouldn't be able to go after them under copyright law. Exactly, yeah. So there's limited protection in what copyright allows you to do, and ideas is one of those things. Given that there are some of these other areas that some things can be protected, what are the advantages of pursuing copyright protection? As I mentioned earlier, it gives a potential owner or creator another avenue to go against infringers. There's different liability standards. We talked about the statutory damages, and that could be a good benefit. You could actually encompass a wider array of defendants in a copyright case, and there may be no other protection available for you. So that would be another reason to pursue copyright. Another interesting aspect would be copyright because it starts on the day of creation. You could get damages from an earlier date than, say, patents or trademarks. There are various advantages of pursuing copyright protection. 
Moving into more the specific topic at hand, what sort of protection does copyright offer on some of these other things we're talking about, you know, geometric shapes and fonts and letters and symbols and whatnot? Copyright protection in these areas has been small and a bit limited, but as we discussed, there could be lots of benefits and overlaps with trademarks. So we're going to discuss, you know, various things that kind of fall through the cracks, including fabric designs, jewelry designs, toys, typeface, so fonts and the like, things like china patterns. Geometric shapes and symbols could be used in games and other forms of software. There's also things like forms of art that involve titles, names, and shapes. So think conceptual or modern art, sometimes called minimal art. Uh, so all of these areas could involve you know, these small things like geometric shapes and symbols, and yet protection on it has not been that great. And they're all, you know, mostly commercial items, and companies could really benefit from the protection there. What are the problems with there not being protection available? Categorically, the Copyright Office, when seeking a registration, will deny protection on these, you know, geometric shapes and symbols and letters because they belong to a certain class, and so the second the copyright sees that the work that you're trying to submit has one of these aspects to it, they will categorically deny registration on these types of works. So by denying registration on these works, it does create kind of a heavy burden for an owner of an infringed work, because as we talked earlier, you need the copyright registration in order to seek action against an infringer. The copyright law does provide that if registration isn't refused, that you can still file a suit for copyright, but then you have to file a notice and a copy to the Register of Copyrights, and the Register becomes a party to the infringement action, which they often do that. And the decision by the Copyright Register, whether or not a work is copyrightable, is given a heavy deference. In fact, it's under the abuse of discretion standard, and it's not often overturned. In fact, we'll go through a number of cases where that burden is placed on the owner, and the owner cannot meet the abuse of discretion burden to prove that the Copyright Office was wrong in denying the registration. When you submit a proposed copyright to the Copyright Office, do they do any kind of a formal examination? So if you're familiar with the examination for trademarks and patents, it's actually quite a different type of review. So first you submit a registration and you present the work itself. And the first level of review is typically not done by attorneys. And, you know, as I mentioned, that if the original submission has any of these aspects to geometric shapes or letters, typically you get a standard form letter denying your registration. At that level, you can appeal, you file what is called a request for reconsideration, and you, know, you can highlight the reasons for why your work is deserving of copyright registration. And at that level, there is typically attorney review. The problem is that there's very little transparency between what goes on in the copyright register. Unlike trademarks and patents, None of these cases are published, and so the Copyright Office says that out of the 24,000 applications that are rejected each year, fewer than 200 cases are appealed. So that gives you an idea of how final this review is. And because of the expense in appealing these cases, there's very little case law that guides applicants in arguing against copyright registration rejection. And it could be quite expensive. So the first reconsideration is $250. To get a second request for your reconsideration, it's $500. 
the next step would be to file a suit against the Register of Copyrights to compel registration under the Administrative Procedure Act. And then, based on that, you can go to the courts and say that you know, you've exhausted all of your administrative remedies and the courts will review the decision. All of these things are quite hefty in reconsidering something that's typically not even reviewed by attorneys. Let's talk about some of the cases that actually have appeared. I think the first one we have is uh, fabric design. I know fabric designs are somewhat of a contentious area and that they're, as far as I know, always refused registration. Yeah, fabric design is a very important area. In fact, a recent law was passed that protects fabric design to some degree. But if you think of fabric design, oftentimes it has you know lines and shapes and letters, and those are the sort of things that make for easy design. And oftentimes these fabric designs are denied. A case that's in this area is John Woods Fashions versus Curran. And in this case, the registrar's decision to deny their application for a fabric design was denied. The design consisted of what they called an awning grids, which is strip cloth that had these grids of squares superimposed. The registrar decided that that design did not have sufficient creativity. And the court, in reviewing this action, decided to give a high level of deference to the copyright register, and they did not find that there was abuse of discretion in deciding this. The thing I find interesting about that is if you took the same piece of fabric and put it in a frame and hung it on a wall, it would most likely just sail through the copyright office and receive registration without ever receiving any substantial review? You know, it's possible, although I've had a case that was considered art and it was denied by the Copyright Office very similarly because it had, you know, letters and geometric shapes. So even art, which is, you know, supposed to be what copyright registration is supposed to protect, can sometimes be denied by the Copyright Office. The next one concerns what's known as a koosh ball. What is a koosh ball? So a koosh ball, you might have seen these things. So a koosh ball is basically like a sphere or a ball. And around the ball, you have these, you know, kind of floppy, wiggly, what they called elastomeric filaments. But really, they're just these shapes on the outside of the sphere. And, you know, kids throw this around, and it has an interesting texture to the hand. And these things were hugely popular among kids for a period of time, probably the 90s. Yeah, my kids played with them. Yeah, and Oddzone actually has a whole line of products that are very similar to that. So they were, you know, very keen on getting protection for these products. And in this case, it was actually quite a big case that the register, the way that it examined the koosh ball, is that they stripped the filaments, the wiggly, floppy portions of the ball, and they said, okay, well, those are functional, and so we're not going to look at them. And then if you strip those things away, the only thing that remains is the ball itself. And because the ball is a sphere, it really doesn't have enough originality, we're going to deny uh, copyright registration. The court took a look at this and looked at the reasoning that was presented by the copyright register and said, again, there is no abuse of discretion and that their reasoning could make sense and so they didn't overturn. But you could see how this is you know, something that could easily be original and creative and they're so popular out 
in the market that you would think that they would be deserving of copyright protection. To get back to the abuse of discretion standard, it's important to point out that when a judge is reviewing an administrative decision under abuse of discretion, they're not saying they agree with the decision. They may have come to a different decision if it was presented to them as a new case, but the decision has at least some legs to stand on effectively so that it doesn't get overturned. Yeah, and it's a very high standard to overcome if you're appealing this decision to the court. So another interesting case is Coach's fabric design case. The case is called Coach v. Peters. And the case is Coach appealing the copyright registrar's decision to deny registration to a fabric design that included two linked Cs. The design included the Cs either facing each other or facing away from each other. And the design had them altering. And the registrar found that the design did not have sufficient creativity to establish copyright protection because the works were essentially arrangements of the letter C. And you would think this design would be something that is creative and original. There is some discussion, however, that the Copyright Office specifically and also the courts were concerned about the overlap between trademark registration on Coach's design and the fabric design itself. But that is something that is very important to companies seeking protection on their logo that could be used as either fabric design or it could be used in other ways, not necessarily considered in commerce when they're used on you know, fabric or you know, the Facebook logo that you mentioned. Some other cases that are in this area are particularly interesting are those that had to do with typeface designs. Typeface design in terms of copyright is very slim, if none at all. And if you're a typeface designer, fonts are used in logos all the time. And so you want to seek protection on those things, but that protection is likely to be denied. Well, we've kind of talked a lot about where copyright doesn't give you protection, but on a more positive note, let's talk about some areas in which you can get protection. That's a good segue. We want to think positive about seeking protection because there are numerous cases where owners and creators were able to get copyright protection on various geometric shapes and fabric designs and these sort of things. So there's a number of cases. A lot of them kind of fall into categories that have arrangements of multiple shapes rather than just a single shape. The The cases also involve a combination of symbols or shapes and letters. So the more of these small things you can include in the design, the better it is for registrability. So some of the cases that are known in this area, softer fabrics versus Stafford knitting mills. So that was a fabric design that consisted of a strip of crescents with scalloping or ribbons and rows of semicircles. And the court found that that constituted modest but sufficient originality to support a copyright. So you can see that there are multiple geometric shapes that are involved and arrows and semicircles and things like that. So that would be one example in that area. Another fabric case involved a mega dot pattern. It's a common polka dot pattern that was a little bit more involved and the court found that the decision to place the polka dots in imperfect and conflicting diagonal lines at varying distances from each other, giving the appearance of randomness, gave enough distinction from a generic polka dot design and thus giving it sufficient level of creativity. Also, I mentioned that there are cases where the shapes are combined with text. So in one particular case, there was a poster that included an arrangement of words and shapes and the court found that that in itself had the selection of the letters and the placement around the poster 
gave enough to create original content to grant copyright registration. Other cases also included if the design itself gives additional meaning. So if it's a tongue-in-cheek sort of design, it could give more creative aspect to it and will be found by the court to have more original content. One case is Kelman versus Coca-Cola, and this is kind of a funny case because it was a novelty hat that had a representation of a wingnut. And so you wear this thing, and Detroit Red Wings will wear these things and be called wingnuts, essentially, to kind of give the idea of being dedicated fans. That idea, the tongue-in-cheek, was enough to give a common foam sculpture with a very common shape creative support for a registration. I know there's a case that you would want to discuss relating to symbols and letters that have been modified to some extent. That's right. So protection for topographical fonts has been non-existent pretty much for many years, but a case that recently came down that's particularly interesting has to do with a letter or foreign letter, but still a font type letter. This case is important because, like I said, topographical letters, protection for them has not been strong, and the courts typically deny registration to fonts or letters in general. So this case concerned infringement of a logo comprised of the word ajit, which means unconquerable, and is the name of a famous Sikh warrior. And the case is called Sandu Sign Hamdad Trust versus the Ajit Newspaper Advertising marketing and communications. So this is a newspaper that used this symbol, the Ajit word, as a logo for their newspaper. And they sought copyright registration for this symbol in India, which was granted to them. And then they, based on the Berne Convention, sought infringement of this letter. Just briefly, what is the Berne Convention? The Berne Convention allows copyright registration internationally and grants similar rights to foreign countries. So you can seek copyright registration in a foreign country, and then based on that registration, you can pursue infringement in countries that are common to the Berne Convention. So basically, the way that this logo looks is that it takes the top hook of this word, ajit, and it slightly modifies it so instead of the way that it's commonly used it's slightly flattened and extended and also the bottom hook at the right corner was cut off to form a flatter lower hook than the standard Punjabi fonts. So basically it's a standard letter in the Punjabi font that's been modified for use of this logo by the Ajit newspaper and the court that reviewed this case noted that Typically, a particular form of lettering is not copyrightable, but the arrangement of that lettering and the matter of presentation, including the background, the letter size, the spacing, combined together to give the product sufficient individual authorship to warrant copyright protection. So what all of that means is that you can take a standard font letter, and if you modify it enough to make it look different than what a standard font could look like, you could potentially get copyright registration in that letter or maybe a phrase or something that could be used as a logo. It's probably worth kind of emphasizing that this is in the Eastern District of New York, that they did not accept that it was a valid copyright registration based on the Indian registration. They did actually do a review of as to whether there was sufficient creativity. Correct, yeah, and that's common for cases, even if the copyright 
register based on the Berne Convention or the U.S.-based register found not enough creative originality to give registration, the court will often do a new review of the originality standard. I mentioned that in the U.S., the courts will give a higher deference to a denial of registration. However, the various courts differ in when a copyright registration has been granted and what level of deference to give to that finding. But all that being said, the case is still the recent and positive case that could be used if you have a copyright registration that was denied for you know, a font that you feel it has enough creative originality. I guess wrapping all this up, what advice would you have to people who are looking to protect fonts or geometric shapes or the sorts of things we've been talking about? Various things. Based on the cases that we talked about, if you are involved in the design process, think about what other combinations you can add to the design itself. So if your design may have you know, more colors, can add more text, other symbols, think about adding those things into the design if you're going to seek copyright registration for something you think might not pass through the copyright office. Other things to think about is that if your copyright registration is rejected, there are various things you could argue based on the cases that we talked about. Combination of elements, you could give context to the work. So rather than the copyright office will often strip the work into different elements. So try to argue that you're not seeking the use of the letters or the symbols by themselves, but rather together they give original content. So also try to argue how this work is used. So if it's a logo, how it's going to be used and you know what surrounds it, if it's in a poster or something like that. So rather than the standalone work itself. Other things to think about is argue the creative choices that went into making the work. So if there were certain choices that were made, what colors were picked, what geometric shapes were picked and what, and what they could represent, all of these things could give you a level of original authorship enough to find copyright protection in your work. Also consider seeking what's called the thin copyright. So what this is is that thin copyright, the courts, specifically the court in Feist and some other cases following it, have found that there are situations where copyright protection might be thin. So if you think of the case in Feist was a Yellow Pages case, and it included information that was commonly used facts, so people's phone numbers, their names, their addresses. And the plaintiff argued that it's not necessarily the factual information itself, but rather how it's arranged. And the court found that, yes, arrangement and combination could be protected, but it would likely have a very thin protection. So any other arrangement of these facts would not infringe on that particular arrangement. So if you kind of flag this as what you're seeking in a copyright registration, the copyright registrar will often grant you the copyright registration knowing that what you're seeking is a very small, limited arrangement of elements that are typically not registrable. And then finally, of course, you want to look into other areas of protection, design, patents, trademarks, that sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. So it try to exploit the overlap between the different types of intellectual property as much as you can where it's available. So seek design patents and trademark registrations when those things make sense. Well, thank you for presenting on this. I hope everyone has enjoyed this. Julia, if people have any further questions, how can they get hold of you? Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this a lot. And if people have questions, they could find me on the LA 
www.lalaw.com website and my email is jmathis at lalaw.com. And if anyone has any questions for me, I can be reached at tmcnulty at lalaw.com and also available on the website. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Suffolk Law School Intellectual Property Podcast Series. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.